guys. Appreciate that. Well, this morning as we look at God's Word, I'm going to be going to several different passages of Scripture. And by the way, it's really good to see you guys here this morning. All right, man, I'm just so excited about y'all being here. Wow, what a blessing it is to be able to gather with God's people. You know, I'm just so grateful um, and so grateful for your commitment and your desire to serve the Lord here. Um, and just uh, just so grateful for that. Now, as we look at God's Word this morning, we're going to be in a number of different places. But, you know, we live in a society that, uh, that, that has kind of uh, has an aversion to being, um, I, I guess, you just want to have cotton candy all the time. And, uh, and you guys know me, I will preach God's Word, whether it's you know, popular or not, but we're increasingly in a, a society where people just want to hear what makes them feel good. And I tell you what, it's really easy to get a rah-rah crowd when all you're doing is just preaching things that they want to hear. And, uh, but then there are some passages of Scripture, and if we want to be true to God's Word, we want to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. And one of those things that really disturbs people is the alarming truth of God's judgment. Because we all want a God who loves us, and who is forgiving and merciful, and He is all of those things. But He is also a holy God. And as we look at God's Word this morning, I want to begin this series of messages on the end times with a message about the judgment of God and the warning of God. Because I really firmly believe that, that this nation and that this world is, is getting closer and closer to that moment and that time when God says, I've had enough. I look back and I see what happened in the days of Noah and God sent a flood. I look back and I see what happened at Babel when men wanted to build a tower that would reach the heavens so they could make a name for themselves. And God said, nope, I'm scattering you. Like I told you in the first place to go out and fill the earth. And I, I look back at the the cities of the plain, and I see that God reached a point where he said, this is not good, these people have perverted themselves, and they're perverting the land, and it's time for me to act. And I, I look at what God said about those that were inhabiting the promised land, the Jebusites, and all of those other ites, and how they had corrupted the land, and God said, the sins of the Amorites has not quite got to that point, but when it gets to that point, I'm going to vomit them out of the land, and, or the land's going to vomit them out, and that's exactly what happened. And so, as I look at our world today, it seems like we are spiraling, and, uh, and maybe it's every generation, and I think there is truth to that, but but, you know, when you get to the point to where you deny basic things like gender, marriage, things like that, and you get to a point to where you mutilate people, it, it, it just seems to me that the world is getting very, very close to the return of Christ, the second coming. And I want to talk with you about that this morning. We're going to be in Jude this morning, but before we go to Jude, there's some other passages I want to, I want to focus on. And uh, by the way, any of you guys remember when you were in grade school or maybe elementary school and you had a fire alarm that went off and you had to, everybody had to line up and they had to uh, go outside when the fire alarm went off? Anybody remember that as a kid? I remember that as a kid. Did they still do that today? <laughs> they do? That, 
Okay, so I figure they probably did, but I know they have different kinds of alarms too. And But anyway, uh, this past week I was up in Georgia and just got back yesterday, but uh, rode by my old elementary school. And, uh, and I was in there first through the third grade, and, and I can remember the fire alarms going off and everybody being, you know, kind of surprised, at least the kids and the teacher getting us lined up and then sending us out into the, uh, out the door and, and away from the buildings and that sort of thing. And I have a lot of good memories of that. I have some other memories. Uh, I was uh, I just, we had the service for my mom yesterday, and I remember <clears throat> on one occasion when I had gone to a different school, that uh, I had some trouble with a couple of boys, and they they were ganging up on me. They said they were going to get me after school, and so I'm like, uh oh, here we go. So I go out the front door, and they're both there, and they start coming to me. And next thing I know, I see my mom running to me. I'm like, wow, that's a tough lady, and she chased those boys out. But uh, anyway, I have a lot of memories of my school time. But what I remember firmly is that when that fire alarm went off, it was time to get out of the building. Now, I may be dating some of you, but do any of you remember having one of those drills where you had to get under the desk because there was a possibility of some kind of attack? Some of y'all remember? I don't think I ever had to get under the desk. I don't know if maybe they quit doing it, but I know that some of y'all did. So anyway, well, this morning I want to just share with you that I really believe that the judgment of God is close to our nation. And, uh, you know, what I want to do this morning is talk about some of that. And so, uh, if you would, please take your Bible and go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. This is something that uh, hopefully uh, you can understand that each of us, each of us realizes we must give an account of ourselves to God. Romans chapter 14, verse number 10, it says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We will all give an account to God. The good news is for believers is that once we got saved, our giving of account to God, our salvation is taken care of. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, To know that uh, we're saved for eternity, we've been born again, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? God has pardoned our sin from very beginning to very end. But we all will give an account how we live our lives and how we steward the opportunities that God has given to us. And then, uh, if you would, go to the Old Testament book of Joel. This is in the Old Testament. You're going to have to go back to the left if you've got your paper Bible with you, and you're going to get to the uh, minor prophets, and uh, they come right after Malachi, and you'll find Joel in there. And if you, if you don't find Joel, then maybe Joel chapter 3, it might be on the screen. I'm not real sure about that, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Joel chapter 3. This is about the judgment of God prophet says, let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. 
The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to His people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. God judges the nations. He has His eye on the nations. And so we do well to remember that the age of grace and the time of God's mercy is upon us right now as He has given us the opportunity to experience new life, to be born again and to have the pardon and the mercy. But one day, the day of the Lord occurs. One day, the Lord returns. And when that happens, God will judge men according to their deeds and their relationship with Christ. The Bible tells us that there are a number of different phases, and we're going to be going through each of these each week as we look at the different phases of God's uh, plan, God's eternal purpose for this world and what God's going to do. And, and, and there'll be a seven-year period of tribulation that the Bible speaks about. We'll talk about that. And uh, many believe that that seven-year period follows the rapture of the church. Uh, there's some people that believe the church doesn't get raptured until the midpoint, and some kind of define it a little bit differently and say the church gets raptured uh, before the wrath of God is poured out, and they cite the first breaking of the first seals and all of that stuff as the wrath of man. But be that as it may, we will talk about that seven-year tribulation period, and we'll talk about the rapture. And I believe that the rapture will take place prior to the tribulation. <clears throat> but that's me. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that during the tribulation, God will open up the seals and the bowls and the trumpets. And these things will be uh, manifestations of God taking His hand of mercy off of this world, so to speak, and pouring out His wrath. That's what the Scripture teaches us. I can just tell you that on a number of occasions I've thought to myself, man, you've got this kind of disease that's breaking out and killing people, and then you've got this going on, and I've wondered to myself, wow, is this the beginning, you know? And, and, and Jesus said this is the beginning of birth pains. And so it makes you wonder, you know. I, I often wonder, how in the world could there be a plague that would kill so many people and, and devastate so many, a third of the world's population and all this sort of thing? But man, I'm beginning to see how it could happen. How it could happen. Not that I ever disbelieved it would happen, but it's just now I'm beginning to understand that it, man, just one wrong move by someone could unleash a whole lot of death. The Bible also says that there'll be uh, a time when the nations gather against the Lord, and we know this as the battle or the battles of Armageddon. And, of course, the Lord will utterly defeat His enemies. Revelation chapter 19 talks about that. And then after Armageddon, the Bible says the Lord's going to set up His, his uh, millennial kingdom, the earthly kingdom. 
and that Satan himself will be bound. Do you realize right now that Satan and the demons, at least a number of demons, they have free reign over this earth? And uh, I was talking with somebody this past week, and we're not, we're not entirely sure that maybe every demon is a territorial spirit or whatever, but we know that they're alive and they're working to, uh, you know, to cause havoc and harm. And so at the millennial reign of Christ, the Bible tells us that Jesus will, uh, will, will confine Satan and he'll be away from uh, the children of men, and that Jesus will reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. That's coming. That's the millennial reign. And, but then the Bible says that God will release Satan at the very end of that reign, and once again, he will deceive the nations. And the final phase of God's judgment will involve the great white throne judgment, where uh, those who are present if their name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. So the Bible talks a lot about this. And I think as God's people, we need to understand it. So we'll be going through a lot of these things. Jesus, in his teaching, you know, people always say, well, Jesus was a great teacher. He was so caring and he was so kind and he was so good and he was. But he also spoke about judgment. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the dangers of hell. He talked about the reality of the whole body entering into hell. Uh, Jesus spoke about the resurrection of judgment in John chapter 5, verse 29, and that some would be resurrected into eternal life, and some would be resurrected into a judgment. And so, again, how do we, as Christians, how do we understand this doctrine and how it applies to us today? And I want to talk about that. Let's take a look at another passage of Scripture, and this is in Matthew chapter 13. Take your Bible and go to Matthew 13 just a moment. Again, I, I apologize. We're not really sticking to one passage this morning. We're going all over the place, and it's just been that kind of week for me. But anyway, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus has told a parable now about the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. And he describes the, 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 the world here as being a field that has been sown with wheat by a farmer, a good farmer, and then, uh, or by God, and, and then an enemy comes in and they put weeds in the field. So you have weeds and you have wheat. And in this parable, the question is, do we tear, up the, do we tear out the weeds or do we just kind of let it... Uh, let it grow. Matthew 13, beginning with verse number 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. If the ears of your heart are not open to the reality that without Christ, it is going to be a fiery judgment for anyone. 
If your ears are not open to that, then you are in trouble. And the only way that you can find relief is by having enough reverence and fear of God that you cry out for mercy in Christ. There's a whole bunch of people out there who've decided that the way that they feel or the way that they view life is so much more reliable than what the Lord has taught. That's a very dangerous place to be. Jesus gives a very, uh, a very poignant picture of the judgment in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 16. Take your Bible, please. Go to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, he tells a story about two men who died. One uh, is a guy by the name of Lazarus. He's a poor man. He, he doesn't really have enough to eat. He, you know, he, he just, he's, he's, he's sick. I mean, he's so bad off that, uh, that he has sores on his body, and the dogs actually come and lick his sores. Pretty bad, man. But anyway, Jesus tells this story in verse 22 of Luke 16. He says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, that is a reference to, uh, to the, the abode of the dead who are in faith. It's a place of comfort. And the Bible says in verse 22, The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now pause there for just a moment. I want you to understand, the rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. People have wrong ideas about money. We get so confused about that. Listen, Wealth is a blessing of God. It can become an idol. It can become a cursing of the devil. And I really think it's not just about how much money you have. It's how you use it. It's how you steward it. And if God blesses you with resources, uh, then, you know, he expects you to use them in a wise way. And some of the richest people uh, that have ever lived were, were godly people and are godly people. But some of the richest people that have ever lived are pretty messed up in idolatry. It really depends on whether you've allowed mammon or money to be your God. But this guy, he went to hell, and it's interesting to me that he was able to look up and see Abraham, and he was able to see Lazarus at his side. In verse 24, And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. He is alive in his consciousness after death, and he is conscious of bodily sensation. He wants Lazarus. Apparently, he sees Lazarus' finger and hand, and, uh, and, and this guy's having some real pain. And he says, Lazarus, let Lazarus dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there 
to us. This tells me a number of things. First of all, uh, the people that uh, are in a place of torment, they, maybe they can actually see the blessedness of the other side. I don't know. At this point, maybe, maybe they could. It also tells me there's no way to go from one place to the other. Uh, this, this, is, this is interesting to me, but it, it, it tells me that at some point, not all dogs go to heaven. The reality is not everybody is going to that place that we call heaven. The severest judgment that Jesus reserved for individuals, for people who hear the truth and reject it is found in Matthew chapter 11. Take a look at Matthew chapter 11 just a moment. This is interesting. Jesus now is castigating some cities. Verse 21, Matthew 11. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now that's interesting to me because this is a passage of Scripture that a number of theologians speculate teach us that there'll be different degrees of suffering in hell. And Part of that is because it talks about it being more tire, more tolerable for Sodom uh, than it would be for Capernaum and so forth and so on, the other cities. I know in heaven we think about the crowns that God is, is going to bless us with and uh, the rewards. And, uh, you know, don't, don't be deceived. Uh, you know, God's not mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. And the good news is that, you know, even if you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, he won't forget your labor of love. So he does reward us in heaven. Salvation is a gift, holy and freely of God. And then we get a chance to serve him. And God rewards us according to how we serve him. But again, this, this passage tells us again that God is, is going to judge this world. And then we come to the book of Jude. And Jude, in the, in the New Testament, only one chapter, Jude is the brother, half-brother of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. And, uh, and in this passage, he's dealing with false teachers who have infiltrated the church, who have begun to teach heresy in the church. And some of the things that, uh, that, we, that we find in this is that uh, they have defiled their flesh, which to me what that means is probably they decided that they could do whatever they wanted to with their bodies and still claim to be believers. And they were teaching fellow believers it's okay for you to have this immoral relationship that God has already said is wrong, but it's okay for you to do that because you're born again. we got people like that today that justify immoral relationships and they do it from the pulpit 
I'm just telling you, boy, it is, man, these people are going to be in trouble one day, I believe. The Bible tells us that these false teachers, they were relying on dreams. They were having dreams. They were just, you know, they, they had ceased to rely on the truth that's been presented to them through the Word of God, through the apostles, and they were relying on dreams, and they were rejecting the authority. They were actually blaspheming, uh, I guess, I don't know exactly what they were doing, but they were blaspheming the holy ones or the angels or, or the glorious ones, excuse me. That's what the Bible says. So Jude is saying, look, these guys are not who they claim to be, and you better watch out because judgment is coming. And then we get to the, the passage this morning that I really wanted to focus on, and that is Jude 12. Let's look at Jude 12. He describes these people, and he calls them hidden reefs at love feasts. They're people who, you know, a reef... Uh, is hidden so it's under the surface of the water and if a ship gets up on that reef it can tear out its hull and he describes these false teachers as people who are there they're at the love feast they're at the church they're at the place of you know fellowship or whatever but just under the surface they are tearing things apart these are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. In other words, they don't have reverence. They, they know what they're doing. They don't have reverence for God. They don't have reverence for the people of God. And then it describes them as shepherds who are feeding themselves. Anytime you have a pastor or a leader in the church that is more concerned about being liked or more concerned about enriching themselves or more concerned about projecting some kind of uh, persona that, that is beyond shepherding the people and before shepherding the people and loving the people and loving the Lord, you got a problem. And there are people out there like that. He describes them as waterless clouds. In other words, they're, they're empty. Uh, they're they're swept along by winds. They're fruitless trees in late autumn and twice dead and uprooted. He's really going after them, isn't he? In verse 13, he calls them wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars. So this is a, a, a reference to like a, a shooting star, something like that, that just, it just flies by. And then he, just, he says about them that, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Man, these are people who are, I guess they're just completely lost and they're just in it for the money or they're in it for whatever. Power, I don't know. Control. In verse 14, Jude writes and says, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's against God. So these people in this passage, and by the way, when Jude references Enoch, the Holy Spirit led him to reference the prophecy by Enoch. And you remember, Enoch was the guy who walked with God, and one day he walked with God, and one day he just kept on walking with God, and he left this earth. He's one of the folks in the Bible that never tasted death. 
So Enoch was somebody, and, and he had, some of these prophecies had been written down, and the Holy Spirit inspired uh, Jude to use this prophecy, although we don't see it in the Old Testament. It's there in one of the, uh, one of the Jewish writings, one of the traditional Jewish writings. But <clears throat> Enoch spoke about the return of the Lord and about his judgment. So we're getting to some application, okay? I know I've kind of set the table here for you, and hopefully you're still with me. What does this mean for us? Well, first of all, if you read this passage of Scripture, it is very clear <clears throat> that it points out that the Lord will come again. It's important for us to keep that in mind, that the Lord Jesus, the same Jesus who rose up into the sky and went into heaven in his resurrection body, he is coming back in like fashion. And I'll just tell you something, every day I'm thinking, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, please come. Get, get down here as soon as possible. We need you. <laughs> Our children are suffering. Our nation is, is a mess. The world is full of war. And I mean, I just think to myself, how far can we go before God says, I've had enough. You people have perverted things so bad. Jesus is coming again. Now, it's interesting in this passage, there's a Greek, tech, there's a Greek tense of a verb that's used here. And it's, it's translated as, um, as came in this passage. Uh, it, it, it speaks about the, 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 the Lord coming, and, and in this translation, it, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of holy ones. In some translation, it's the word came, but it's in the aorist tense, and the aorist tense means that this is a reality that has continuing results. And so what that means is that when when, when Jude says this, when he quotes the prophecy of Enoch, it's so strong, it's like it has happened right now. It's, it's, it's done. It's over with. So in Jude's mind, the return of the Lord was certain. And, and I want you to get that in your mind. He's coming again. Don't give up. He's coming again. The second thing I want you to see is that when the Lord returns, He does not come alone. There are ten thousands of holy ones who come with Him. And this word that's used for holy ones has been translated as saints. Some believe this to be the church. I think it probably is the church. I think it comprises, comprises the church and the angels because if you look at this, and John MacArthur is one who believes that this specifically refers to, to angels, and the reason for that is because when the Lord comes to execute judgment, He sends out His angels, the Bible says, and they separate. Okay? But I also think, personally, that when we get raptured, we're up in glory with the Lord and we return with Him as He sets up His millennial kingdom. And... So that's why I think it could be both. But anyway, when the Lord returns, He comes back in force. And He sets up His millennial kingdom. And the Bible says that when He comes, and this passage teaches us that when He comes back, He, sets, he, he, he executes judgment. And those who are ungodly, who have disregarded God's law, they are in big trouble. So, it's interesting because when, when, uh, when, when Jude writes this, 
he uses ungodly three times in this passage. If you look at this, um, it says in verse 15 that the Lord comes to execute judgment on all and convict all of the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. He uses that three times. And the word convict there means to expose or rebuke. I don't know if you've had this experience. You probably have at some point in your life when you got convicted about something and it's like the Holy Spirit said, that was wrong, you messed up. You know, there's that exposure in your own heart. Well, the Lord comes to, to convict the ungodly who are so hardened. And, and these ungodly people that, that, that it speaks of here are are people who are apostates, they've left the faith, or they have, uh, the, these are the false teachers that are spoken of here in this passage, and it's, it's described them as being a people who, uh, who are just godless. They have no reverence for God. And their whole, I guess they're just very irreverent, and they're immoral, and they are blasphemous. If you look in Romans chapter 1, what you will find is that God basically darkens the hearts of those who have rejected the Lord. He just says, okay, you, got, you don't want me? Okay, have at it. And he allows the fullness of sin to grow in their hearts to the point to where they just, uh, they are so hardened. In Romans chapter 1, it speaks about this. So these, that, that's who these people are. They're just so hardened, like Pharaoh. They're so hardened against God. And, and, and so God comes and, and he executes a judgment on them. And um, there's, there's so much here. I, I, can't, I can't really, I, I, I know. We need to get to the application. What are you trying to say, Pastor? All right, here's, here's the application of all these passages, okay? First of all, the declaration of divine judgment is not to incite people to think that God is unfair and unkind and he's, you know, he's, he's just capricious and all that sort of stuff. The declaration of divine judgment is intended to be a warning to those who are unrepentant. And, and this is why I'm just telling you, if you're, if you're watching this broadcast right now, or you're, you're, you're listening to these words, whether it's, it's here or somewhere else, wherever you might be right now, and you're listening to this, and you've heard the gospel, and yet you refuse to repent, and you refuse to turn, the divine judgment that Jesus warns of, that Jude warns of, that Joel warns of, that the Bible warns is coming one day. It is designed to make you aware of the judgment that is coming, that is going to fall on your head if you do not have Christ as your Savior. Praise God. There are people out there who just, they need to be knocked upside the head. Pardon my expression. Some of us, all it took was a stern look from mama or daddy, and we were crying and fearful of getting whooped. But some people are just so hard-headed. They need to know that God has a limit. So divine judgment is intended as a warning. Somebody said, well... I don't want to scare people into, into heaven. Well, I don't really want to scare people into heaven. I hope they respond before that, but i got to tell you something. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. 
Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a strong word. And that's a reminder to all of us that when we got saved, we should have been aware of the fact that if without Christ, we do go to hell. Do you know that the Jehovah Witness Church got started by a Baptist preacher who decided he did not like the doctrine of hell? Yeah, he couldn't abide it. And many cannot abide that. But Jesus taught it very clearly. Secondly, I want to say this. This is an application point for us. And that is that the declaration of divine judgment is intended to be a wooing to those who were unsaved or unfulfilled. When we read about judgment, it's not just to create a fear in us, but it's to motivate us to seek Christ, to draw people to the haven of safety, the ark of rest, the peace, the prince of peace, the Lamb of God who died and paid the price of your sin and my sin. When divine judgment is spoken of, it should give a holy fear to those who were sensitive to the judgment of God, but it also should call us to cry out to Him for mercy. Because those who call upon the Lord are saved. Those who confess Him as Lord are saved. Those who receive Him have the right to become children of God. They are born from above. They're not born of a human's will. They're born of the Spirit because they have exercised faith. You and I can go through life and just say, well, if God wants to save me, He will. Well, guess what? God has made it very plain what He's done for a person to get saved, and you must respond. You must respond. Divine judgment is intended to woo the unsaved to Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that the Thessalonian church had turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom God raised from the dead. And His name is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. I'm telling you, I know that people say, well, I just don't really feel comfortable with a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Well, okay, I know you want to be encouraged, but you know what? Every now and then we need to hear a little message about hell and, 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 and you know, brimstone and fire and all that. And my wife says, don't yell. Okay, I'm trying not to yell, honey. She's watching online right now, by the way. But, you know, truth is truth. And then there's a third well, first of all, before we go to the third point, let me ask you this real quick. Do you think that unsaved people are actually going to show up in church? Probably not a whole lot of them. Now, some of them might. They might get under conviction. They might get to the next church. But by and large, they're probably filling their lives with so many things that they don't have an opportunity and they don't have an inclination. So the question then is, if they're going to hear about the mercy and the judgment of God, how are they going to hear? They have to hear through the church, through God's people. Which means that we must be bold enough to speak the truth in love with the idea that we are all things to all men so that we might lead them to faith in Christ. 
Sometimes we don't share, but sometimes we need to. We need to. We need to say, look, judgment is coming on this world, and I hope you're getting ready. You know, it's amazing to me, I, just in conversations with people over the past several weeks, um, non-believers, they're like, man, what is going on in this world? You know, it's just so nuts. Um, I think that the bubble has been burst for a lot of people uh, regarding a lot of things that are going on in this world. And, and if you're like me, and I was talking with some of my family members uh, that, that I saw yesterday and uh, extended family, and we're both like, this, something's wrong in this world. And, and I, I told them, I said, I know what it is. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. God is not pleased with many of us. So the declaration of divine judgment, it is a warning to the unrepentant. Listen, don't get mad and grumble at God. And if you read this passage, you'll see these people were grumbling at God. They were mad at Him, just like the people in the Exodus were. And the judgment of God, it comes so that it might woo people, so they might have a fear of God and that they might learn how to cry out to Him and seek Him. But thirdly, the declaration of divine judgment is intended also to be an encouragement to those of us who are in Christ. You know, when I read about the divine judgment, again, I I think to myself, that's a horrible thing for people to experience. I look at what happened, um, you know, on Mount Sinai when Moses came down and and, uh, the people were having a wild party and they'd made a golden calf and they were worshiping. They said, this is our God. And, of course, God destroyed a bunch of them then. I read about what happened, you know, in the, with, with the flood of Noah, and, and I think about all those people that died and how bad it was. I, I read about, the, you know, the Sodom and Gomorrah, and, uh, and, you know, and I have to be really honest with you. If Lot was the only one in Sodom who was, you know, who was, was, uh, was a righteous man, and the, and, and the Bible does tell us he was a righteous man, and his soul was vexed because of the sin going on. And, and I have to admit, I would be vexed too, and I am vexed if I had to live among people like that all the time. But when I look at that, it encourages me to know that one day my Savior will remove that kind of iniquity completely and fully from my heart in that process of glorification because that's what he does in us. He creates in us a clean heart and we desire purity and goodness. And it's a process that takes place. But he also removes those stumbling blocks and those things that create the problems of sin in our world. And I am so glad I don't have to live with those kind of people for all eternity. I'm sorry. I just don't want to have to put up with that. Years ago when I was a chaplain in a prison, and I worked in several prisons in Florida and also in Arkansas, I always said the worst thing about being in prison was not the fact that you were there uh, because you broke the law. I mean, you got, you got three square meals a day. You had a place to sleep. Admittedly, you probably heard a lot of snoring. Um, and uh, you, know, and you, had, uh, you, you had jobs, so you had something you had to do. The worst thing about being in prison, in my opinion, is the fact that the people that you're around... You can't trust them. You don't know what's going on. I never will forget. I'll just tell you this story, and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, 
I went. I was passing out Bibles in a barracks there, and this was at uh, this was at Cummins State Prison in in uh, in Arkansas. And uh, I went in the barracks with some Bibles, and I was passing them out, you know. And I got around the very far end, and I got over there, and there were several guys over there that had put on a lot of makeup, and they were acting crazy. And I'm like, "Ooh, let me get out of here because this ain't good." And I just had that thought to myself, oh my goodness, I couldn't imagine having to live around that kind of stuff. Anyway, I better go on here. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 7 that one of the elders addressed John. And in verse 13, uh, the question is, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And John says in verse 14, I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I believe that the message of divine judgment is intended to encourage us because God will right all the wrongs. You'll be able to see the hurts in your life perhaps in a way that you've never seen them before. And you'll be able to experience the reward and the blessing of God because God has acted with mercy in bringing justice and truth and love into this world. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, Let us not grow weary of doing good because in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Folks, i got to tell you something. I know the divine message of divine judgment is not a, a feel-good message, and you probably say, well, preacher, you preach too many of those kind of messages. I don't know. I want to encourage you, but I want to remind you that his, his judgment in some ways is a mercy on this world, because if God had just let the days of Noah go on like it was, there's just no telling where we would be right now. But we're getting back to where it was, I can tell you that. So I believe God's going God's to gonna, uh, act. And it's important for you, if you've been hem-hawing around, and you've been depending on your feelings, and you've been holding back and saying, I'm not going to serve God because of this or because of that, or, or I just have to have Him hit me with a, a, a lightning bolt out of the sky before I believe, then i got to tell you something. You are in trouble. You better get right with God and do it right now. We're going to have a, a time of uh, music here and and uh, Dave is going to come out and lead us in a little bit of worship song. And I just got to tell you, if you got a burden on your heart and you're just, there's a conviction in your soul, you need to take care of it right now, whatever it might be. I, I beg of you, let God have his way, whether it be for salvation or whether it be for recommitment or whether it be just a desire to grow in the Lord and grow the ministry 
of, of the Lord through this church. We need you and we want you. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord God, help us to find something fruitful in this that we can apply to our lives. And Lord God, give us the courage to be able to share with our, our friends and loved ones and those around us, Lord, the message of your love, but also, Lord, the message that one day it will be too late if they do not respond. So, Lord God, and direct us in this moment of decision. In Jesus' name we pray.